Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. On today's French Open semi-final catch-up, Stefano Tsitsipas sinks Zverev, Novak stuns Nadal, and Barbora Krajicikova aims for singles and doubles glory. Kim, what a Friday night we have just had literally a few minutes ago. Novak Djokovic versus Rafael Nadal. French Open men's semi-final, the second one of today, and it's served up an absolute classic. That third set alone felt felt it felt momentous. There was drama at the end with fans allowed to stay. I mean, as a obviously as a, many of our listeners will know, you're a diehard Rafa fan. I mean, that was a bit of a that was a bit of a nerve shredder, wasn't it? Oh, <laughs> Joel, I feel like I've aged about 20 years. Um, <laughs> that's why I needed the bucket so no one can see my face anymore because <laughs> it's not pleasant. Um, yeah, it's been very emotional. I've gone through a whole roller coasters. I'm sure any Rafa fans listening, I know we've got a lot of Rafa fans uh, who listen. So big hugs uh, to everyone. And I like, it's just, you know, it was bound to happen at some point, wasn't it, Joel, that, that Rafa would lose again at Roland Garros. Obviously, he has lost twice at Roland Garros before. And um, I know that you sent me something on WhatsApp saying that, <laughs> yes. that Rafa loses every every six years at Roland Garros. It was like a prophecy, I think, coming true because in the build-up, uh, I, I noticed that if you look at Rafa's losses at Roland Garros, his first loss was in round four in 2009 against Soderling. His second loss to, to Djokovic was six years later in the quarterfinals in 2015. And six years later, even more so, he's lost again to Novak Djokovic, but in the semifinals. So there's a weird sort of pattern developing developing there, purely coincidence. But yeah, we've had a absolutely fantastic match, you know, probably one of the best matches in their, you know, long and storied rivalry. Um, it was across four sets. Uh, it was in the, you know, the night session. And, you know, so much of the drama of that match was the fact that it started so late because of Sissipas and, and Zverev going five. And I think the fact that the longer it went into the night, the conditions, I felt like it had a big of a bit of a factor in in the outcome of, of the match. Yeah, I I was always a bit sort of skeptical, I suppose. Um, I just always felt that it would it would favour like Novak uh, be, being in the night session. The later it got, the conditions. I always feel like the night session crowd they're always a bit up for some maybe some aggro or something, and mm. I just felt that that wasn't really helping Rafa. Um, 
I mean, just a note on that. I do feel like the French Tennis Federation should probably have scheduled the start of play today a, a bit earlier. You know, perhaps they could have started it two hours early. Just the fact that you've got two men's semifinals that both potentially will go five sets. And you've also got two players in the second one who take their sweet time uh, before serving, you know. <laughs> so... I don't know, but I mean, as it as it came to it, you know, what we were all expecting was the fact that the fans were going to have to file out at uh, local time, 11 o'clock. But in the end, the French government seemed to have uh, made an exception for, for Rafa and Novak because they, they said they could stay. And in the end, I suppose it didn't go on much longer after that anyway. But um, how crazy is that, that they've actually changed, like, French law? <laughs> I mean, that was just a testament, I think, to how massive this match was and how kind of I guess far-reaching it was it wasn't just a you know a marvel for the the fans it yeah it had ramifications with regards to the Paris curfew because I don't think anyone anyone was really expecting there to be any any give or leeway but we got this announcement I think what two three minutes came through on the tv that they said fans would be able to stay now I don't know if that's because they felt like I don't know if there was going to be a riot on their hands or, or people weren't just going to leave or obey um, you know, the rule. But I'm sort of glad it, it did happen because I think, you know, I think we've seen over the last kind of couple of weeks that, you know, tennis has on a few occasions at this tournament sort of shot itself in the foot. You know, I particularly think about the, you know, the, the, the Naomi Osaka kind of situation, the scheduling with the night matches, you know, particularly with the that imbalance between the, you know, the male matches and the female matches. And again, this was, you know, a lot of people were looking at this because it felt like it was nailed on, to be honest, you know, with, with kind of two hours approaching, one hour, one hour approaching that, you know, people were going to almost be forced out. But um, I'm sort of glad that kind of common sense prevailed and they were able to, you know, everyone there was able to kind of witness this kind of really, you know, it was a really significant match, I think, you know, significant in the rivalry, significant in tennis in general, you know, some people talking about this as particularly that third set and that tiebreakers, one of the best sets that has happened on a, you know, happened on a clay court ever. And I, and, and personally, I don't, I don't think that is an exaggeration. I was very surprised that there were so many breaks of serve, I have to say, mm. especially, especially in that third set. And um, it was very unpredictable in the sense that, you know, Novak served for a 5-3 and then Rafa pegged him back. But before you even got to that point, there'd been quite a few breaks um, anyway. And then obviously Rafa had a set point on Novak's serve at 6-5 and then it went to the tie break. I do think Rafa, he missed that um, forehand, didn't he? Which mm. he really should have got in the, the tie net, break. Volume, yeah. yeah, and I sort of think he'd be ruining that one a bit um and then obviously Novak clinched it and I think that really was the pivotal moment just because I think they by that point been playing for about three hours or something three and a bit hours and if you've got to then win two more sets to come back from that it's you know Rafa's obviously incredibly fit but he is 35 now and perhaps 10 years ago he he, I, I did just feel that physically he wasn't where he has been in the past and I don't you know he was sweating so much tonight and I don't know if that was just the weather conditions or maybe there was you know he wasn't feeling 100% I'm not sure but I did just feel like that it you know was gonna be a bit of a mammoth ask and I know that if anyone could do it it's Rafa but it really did kind of fall away from him in that fourth set and I just think it was too too much to ask um in the end it was quite surprising, I think, that fourth set because Nadal went up a break early but then I think Djokovic just kind of just you know broke Nadal which is not something that happens very often and kind of reeled six games off in a row to win it I mean he came through three six six three seven six six two and it was a real kind of roller coaster because 
you know, let's let's go back to the beginning and that that first set. I mean, Rafa went up five love. You know, it was very much like the final last year. Novak trying drop shots at the start of the match, not really working. Novak no, uh, Nadal fetching them all. And it was a really impressive start by Nadal. And although Djokovic kind of came back into it, I think he needed like five or six set points to kind of get him through. It was a really impressive opening from him. Yeah, I think that helped Novak, the fact that he got a few games on board uh, and made it so tough for Rafa serving it out. I think if Rafa had like won that set to love, you know, going into the second set, it might have been, it may well have gone the, the way of the final last year. It, it may have really dented Novak's confidence and his kind of perception of his own chances. But the fact that he made a bit more of that first set, I think certainly helped him. Um, and then, yeah, he was just, it was very different to last year, wasn't it? I think where Rafa got on top really early and, and had such a lead before Novak started to get into the match. I think in this one that the feel of it was very different um, from like five, two onwards in the first set, basically. Yeah, and it was definitely kind of, I think, a, a switch up in, in play from Djokovic in that second set. He focused on Nadal's backhand and Nadal hit 67 backhands in the second set and only 49 forehands. So you can see that he was really kind of focusing and pinning Nadal to that side. And it was really kind of opening up for, for Djokovic. And once he won that second set, we were we were into the real, I think, piece de resistance of the match that kind of third set which I mean it took 80 minutes I think to get to the tie break and it was just it was just spellbinding tennis and this this really felt like the moment that if Djokovic was gonna dethrone the the king of play or or win this was the set that he was going to need to win because you genuinely felt that whoever was going to win that set was probably going to get to have the momentum to pull them through. Yeah, and now I'm looking back thinking, oh, if only Rafa had like won that set point, or you know. <laughs> um, I mean, but... it was incredible he got to that set point because oh, I felt yeah. in that set, I genuinely felt in that set, Djokovic had about five or six times to be able to kind of put that one to bed, and then all of a sudden Nadal had a set point from nowhere, and I was kind of like. I was actually thinking this is why he's so good on a clay court because he is such a fighter and has that never say never say die attitude. But Djokovic was able to kind of put away that that set point that Dal had and was able to really kind of bring it in the tiebreak. For sure. And I, I was thinking, where's Lorenzo Massetti when you need him in a tiebreak? Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's unbeaten in tiebreaks so far this year. Um, and obviously Rafa needed a bit of Dan Evans in that fourth set to turn it around. But um yeah, it's uh, not going to lie. I'm, I am gutted, obviously. Um, but I also appreciate the fact that this was one of the best matches that we're probably going to see. And we won't be having these two playing semifinals of Grand Slams or finals, whatever, for much longer. So we, we do need to appreciate this sort of insane tennis that like we, we're watching and seeing because it's probably not going to be replicated for a long, long time. And, you know, they've, they've both made history in their careers and we sort of try, I'm you know, we, we should appreciate the fact that um, like whoever wins, wins the match. And, you know, it's gutting, isn't it? It's a shame there can't be in a way like a draw sometimes because you just think, Oh, um, but like we've been treated to some, you know, fantastic tennis tonight and it will go down in, you know, the history books of, of their rivalry. Cause they've had some, I mean, it was probably up there with the the twenty 
12 uh, final they had here, 2013 semi. And obviously Rafa won both of those. So it was bound to happen at some point, wasn't it, that he would lose one. That tiebreak in the third set was giving me flashbacks to Federer and Nadal at Wimbledon. Yeah. Uh, oh, in, I gosh. think in 2008. Yeah. 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 And that was how, that was the level. And we don't, we don't often see that level. And, you know, watching it on, on TV in the UK, the, co- you know, the commentary teams weren't, weren't saying a lot. And I think, you know, the reason for that was it was just, we were just kind of breathing this in and just feeding off of it because mm. the level was just, it was just so exceptional and all you could just do was just be, just just have your jaw drop. It was just kind of like, there was no words to describe the, the tennis kind of going on. And, you know, I think there'll be people out there who's saying like, this might be exaggerated or quite a bit of hyperbole, but I genuinely think, particularly for a semi-final, it was probably one of the highest quality semi-finals we've, we've had in a, in a Grand Slam. And, you know, a lot of people will, again, be saying it was just such a shame that, that matchup wasn't in the final because you you genuinely felt that the, you know the winner of that match should have deserved a trophy. Yeah, I mean, damn Medvedev, it's all his fault. <laughs> this would have been a final. Uh, yes, I mean, although I have to say, I think it hurts less uh, when, as a fan, when someone when your your man loses in like the semi final as opposed to the final. I, I I know that sound might sound a bit weird, like you'd rather someone went around further, but I always feel like there's less sort of attention on the semis and the finals and um but anyway I mean we've got obviously Novak against Sitsipas on Sunday uh I've, I've obviously it's been a it's been an intense match tonight for Novak but I'm I'm sure you know as fit as he is he'll be physically okay for for Sunday um but yeah we've actually had two two quite thrilling semis actually because the first one was also thrilling in its own way I suppose and obviously delayed the start of Novak and Rafa um well by about an hour I think in the end um but I mean what's your what's your take do you think what we've seen from Novak tonight obviously is is he now I mean he's got to be the the hands down favorite for Sunday you think it's sort of 90% chance that he's gonna win or do you see him him falling because when, when he beat Rafa before in 2015 he ended up losing in the final to stand stand the man but I don't think this time <laughs> yeah I think it's I think that's gonna be very hard to see uh I think a lot of it will depend on Sissipas but I think Sissipas will have to go to a level of tennis that he hasn't gone before we've seen I think Novak Djokovic in the semi-final against Nadal he's had to lay his cards on the table to show the level of tennis he can bring and I think in that particularly in that fourth set it showed you know, what he is kind of capable of that you know the number of the number of defensive shots that he played that ended smack bang on the on the baseline to neutralize uh you know the Nadal attacking shots from the the, the baseline was very very impressive and uh, you know Sissipas is going to have to overcome that and you know at the moment I think it's quite a scary thought because I really think with this match that Djokovic has shown kind of a level that has that that I think you know it it probably deserves him to be the French Open champion. I know it's obviously nice that that Sissipas is in his French first French Open final, but going back to you know that quarter final against Berrettini and you know that raw that raw he had at the the end of the the match, as well as sort of I think spawning a, a million and one memes on on social media, it really was a battle cry, and in, you could tell you could just tell in his you know, just looking at his kind of facial expression and the, you know, the veracity of, of, of that cry, it was like, he is, he is here for business. And, 
you know, in this match, I think, you know, very, very different, I think, to the, the final, the French Open final last year, where it was, you know, he was going after drop shots from, from point one and he was kind of continuing with it and it wasn't really working. It, he felt, he felt very, very kind of composed. It felt very, very like, very, very much like, you know, when he played Federer, you know, in the final at Wimbledon, I think in, in 20, in 2019, where he might not have been kind of the, maybe the favorite with the crowd. There, there certainly were chance, you know, for him, but I definitely felt that he kind of reveled in that as he always does and, you know, fed off of it. And that was one of the reasons that, you know, he kind of came through. Yeah, I just, I feel like Rafa and Fed fans, I just, I want to give them all a big hug because <laughs> I can only imagine um, what Fed fans, you know, when Federer had ma- those match points in mm. that Wimbledon final. Oh my Lord. I mean, what, oh, I can't even imagine. <laughs> um, it's so tense and stressful when you're like a big fan of a player and you're going through all of that. So, um, I mean, were you, yeah. were you surprised given that fourth set and how it kind of, let's be honest, it sort of petered out. Were you kind of surprised surprised by that? Because I, I, you know, I I was, you know, when when um, you know there was definitely a never next level of energy. I think once that the crowd were found out that they were going to be able to to stay, um, and and Nadal obviously I think rode that energy and and broke Djokovic right at the start of that fourth set, but wasn't able to kind of continue. Um, were you were you surprised that he wasn't able to take it to at least to I say at least, but take it potentially to a a fifth set because I definitely thought he's you know he obviously started the stronger in that fourth. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I just had a bit of a feeling that it wasn't going to be his night um, as as it went on. To be honest, um, I think Novak had kind of sussed him out pretty well by that point, and and like you said, was very composed compared to previous matches and. I mean, maybe it would have been better if the crowd had gone home and that momentum, mm. like having that break might have helped Rafa because I just felt that, I don't know, I, I don't know, I just felt there was something a bit off. So just playing devil's advocate then, do you think, obviously, I, I, mean, I am very much, was very happy that, that, you know, the crowd were able to stay. Um, but let's 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 say it went by the rule book and all the fans had to leave and there was a, Let's say a fifteen-minute delay. So five thousand fans uh, left the left the, the left Philip Chatrier. Do you, do you think that potentially could have had an effect on the on the fourth set and how it went? Well, it's impossible to say. I mean, if you go back to that Wimbledon final in two thousand eight, you know they had rain delays, and I, that that may have helped Rafa. Then I I don't know. You, you just can't tell, can you? But I mean. I know it was an exceptional match tonight, but I also do think there should be some consistency with regards to rules. And I mean, Berrettini fans who had to leave on Wednesday might be a bit annoyed that they've just decided to change the rules for this match and and not the other one the other day. So I don't know. I just feel like I know the French Tennis Federation probably thought, oh, we can't be accused of ruining <laughs> any more things this to- this fortnight. Mm. So I thought I- it was the one decision they got right, Kim. Yeah, but they I guess it shouldn't have come to this in the first place because no, I do I, absolutely not. Yeah. I think they should have started the matches earlier today. Um I'm not you know, we were talking about this in the last match. I'm not a massive fan of having night sessions at what I see as a daytime kind of, you know, tennis event. But um obviously that's the way the tournament's going. So, you know, we just have to um, you know, back in back in the day, like five years ago, I guess they would have had to stop for for bad light and come back tomorrow. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, obviously, the fact that Rafa's 
um, lost, you know, um, it, <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit upset. I'm not going to lie, but it's, it's a fact of life. He's won 13 of these things. Um, it's, which is absolutely an, a, amazing. So, you know, uh, have to think about what, you know, what he has achieved is phenomenal. And this match, like Novak deserved, deserved to win. He was the better player tonight. So absolutely fair play to him. Just going on then to, the other semi-final uh we spoke we just kind of briefly mentioned it Sissipas versus Verev Sissipas coming through 6-3-6-3-4-6-4-6-6-3 so another five setter it was quite it was quite a quick five setter but nonetheless a a very sort of topsy-turvy match with Sissipas winning the first two sets then Zverev and then Sissipas sort of rediscovering his form in that fifth set um I've got I'm gonna be honest, I was what I was probably most impressed with was Sissipas stopping the rot and stopping the momentum and, and winning that fifth set. You know, we, we were talking on WhatsApp whilst this is happening, and I was I was sort of thinking, you know, Zverev I thought Zverev was gonna win this. I thought he was gonna win this from two sets down. But you had a sneaking feeling that regardless of, of the scoreline, you felt that Sissipas was always gonna come back. Yeah, I just saw Zverev in a fifth set at a, a slam. I, I just I had memories of the the final against Dominic Team in the US Open, where he sort of got extremely nervous uh, at the end, didn't he? And uh, you know, failed to um, to perform right when it mattered. And I just thought, oh, I, I just thought it's past. You know, I know he he dropped that two set lead, but I just thought he really that the energy and the momentum was with him still. So I thought he would be able to hold Zverev off. Um, I, I'm a bit concerned maybe about how Sitspas might fare on, on Sunday because, you know, he went two sets up, but I think there's a stat that he actually had only hit one like winner going into the third set or something ridiculous. Um, so it was a lot more of it was the fact that Zverev was not uh, playing particularly well not serving very well and Sitspas was you know quite tentative still um obviously he did go a breakdown in the second set managed to, to peg Zverev back but he wasn't exactly I would say the most convincing um even in those two sets that he won at the start he was five winners 19 unforced errors in set yeah. one and set two combined oh, that so... was it. okay which is it's just I mean, <laughs> you, can't... Yeah, you would think, <laughs> you would think you'd be losing both sets if, if that yeah. happened wouldn't you yeah a bit, a bit mad on the stats yeah I, I, I was just gonna say i think like with zverev i don't think we saw the best his best tennis and i think you know one of his kind of causes for concern will be I think, you know, now we're sort of over Zverev kind of not getting to the second week of a Grand Slam. That was sort of problem number one, I think, for, you know, the early kind of part of his kind of career as a, as a top seed. But I think now the next thing he really needs to address is his dreadful, dreadful win-loss record against top 10 players um, in best of five sets. He is 0-12 and 12 against top 10 players in best of five he really doesn't he really doesn't uh come he really doesn't do well uh against you know players that are around him um so uh, you know there's definitely something to to work on there and you know it's not i don't think it's a case of him just kind of coming up against nadal or, or djokovic you know he's lost to other players as well as you said like team um Sisipas, medvedev so you know that's going to be something that he's going to need to work on that even though you know, he's he's probably feeling like he's doing okay in in best of three. He's still not really kind of applying it to, to best of five. And even though, you know, he's one of the, the highest seeds in the 
the competition. He had a pretty good route to the to the semis. He's still coming off all the time second best in you know when he's he's facing players that are sort of his his similar ranking. Yeah, he hadn't faced a seeded player until he got to this stage of the tournament. So I mean, which isn't his fault at all. But it it you know he really does need to get a big win, I suppose, against like well a top ten player <laughs> um, at a slam. So. Maybe that, you know, he's obviously beaten top 10 players outside of the slams. Um, but yeah, he, he seems to have, you know, been fairly consistent at slams of late, to be honest, without actually playing that well. So, I mean, he's making the most of of getting through when, you know, arguably he could have fallen uh, by the wayside. But yeah, I thought, you know, Sitspas deserved to win today. He was still, I think, overall the better player. Um, obviously, I did think at the end there when Sverev saved those four match points, you know, and Sitspass was then going to have to serve for it. I thought, oh, mm. could, could we be on for something here? But obviously it wasn't to be in the end. Um, but I, I do fear that Sitspass, you know, he was quite nervous today. I, he's obviously been in semifinals before, but hadn't obviously won one. Um, he's, he's in new territories in his first Grand Slam final, but I just think the inexperience is massively going to show on Sunday and, when the the going got tough in those third and fourth sets, he was sort of muttering, you know, to himself, and there was a bit of neg- negative energy, and that sort of started to creep in when kind of Zverev kind of took a hold. Um, I think, you know, for me, the kind of the critical thing is that I think we know with Stefanos Tsitsipas, he's an emotional guy. He has a lot of emotional energy, and I think when it comes to you know being in a, in a final, I think he's just going to have to temper that emotion like that emotion that I feel like will be naturally kind of running through him but at the same time not let it get the better of him and if if he's able to kind of do that and and manage that emotional energy I think then perhaps that kind of gives him a chance against Novak Djokovic you know we've spoken about the fact that Sissipas plays his best tennis when he's this cool and calm sort of character and you know, when even when he's not playing particularly well, if he stays cool and stays cool and calm, he normally uh, can kind of kind of push himself and, and come through it. But when he is, uh, you know, a bit more sort of critical and talking to himself, and guess sort of, you know, from an Andy Murray perspective, you know, yeah, do, doing an Andy Murray on him, you know, having conversations and monologuing with himself on court, um, it, it starts to go pear shaped. And I think that's the sort of thing that he's going to have to work on uh, if he has sort of serious ambitions of, of beating Novak Djokovic in the final. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's got nothing to lose, has he? He's had an exceptional clay court season. I mean, if you look back at his last eight clay events, if you go back to, you know, last year as well, Roland Garros, he's got a phenomenal record. And, you know, he won in Lyon before coming into Roland Garros. Obviously, Novak won in Belgrade. So they're both, uh, you know, on win streaks at the moment. But um, yeah, he's got nothing to lose. He took Novak to five sets uh, last year in the semis here. So, Maybe he can kind of learn from that particular match, but obviously a Grand Slam final is, is a very different kettle of fish. You know, it's the ultimate. So um, we shall see. Uh, I would like to see a competitive match, um, but... <laughs> <laughs> a competitive match that is setting the bar so low, Kim. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, you say it, it's his first final. There is nothing to lose. Um, you know, interestingly, Jim you know, Jim Courier on, on commentary was talking about Sissipas being a player who could, you know, once Roger Federer retires, a lot of the people who follow Roger Federer, he feels that Sissipas's game 
is the most sort of uh, akin to that. And he could kind of take a lot of the, the Fed fans, I think, under his wing. And I certainly think if he was able to beat kind of Novak Djokovic in the, oh, the final on, on Sunday, yeah Fed, yeah, Fed fans, that would be another reason, I think, to kind of follow him. But I certainly think there are, are parallels in their game. Um, one thing that did kind of come out of this match, which was a bit of a, a, bit of a controversy, um, and, and and kind of doing the rounds. I don't know how far this will go, but it, it did come out that um, Alexander Zverev, whose brother Misha Zverev uh, works on commentary for Eurosport um, in an interview where he was doing kind of courtside uh, with uh, you know, Mats Verlander in the, in the, uh, the studio basically effectively came out and said, you know, I had a word with him, um, you know, during the match uh, at, a ch- at a changeover, I think a, a set changeover, and gave him some, gave him, gave him some advice. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are big time kind of frowning upon this. This doesn't feel, this doesn't feel right. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people will, you know, there's already a lot of kind of detractors, I think, of, of Sasha's very for various reasons. And I think they're also going to look at this and perhaps widen it out to the, the Zvera family in general, inclu- including his brother now. Yeah. I don't know exactly like the ins and outs of, of how he, did this or how he would have been able to to do it but I know that you know on-court coaching does happen um e- you know even from the coaches in the boxing or whatever but um yeah I mean why would you admit that as well in an interview because you know it's wrong so why would you admit it it was really awkward I felt like Mats Verlander dropped him in it I, d- I felt like it was maybe an like an off an off recording conversation and then Verlander was sort of trying to have some banter with him and then there was like a slight pause in in the in the in the coverage and then yeah it's very Misha Zverev kind of came out with this so I don't know if there's going to be any ramifications there but it, it certainly feels I think that particularly perhaps within people who follow the tour that that Zverev is this you know I think he is sort of painted as a little bit of a villain um which sometimes I think is a bit unfair. You know, he is a very, very good tennis player on his day, but there are things I think that are happening that certainly aren't helping his cause. And maybe kind of more general fans aren't so aware kind of of that. But, you know, it's it's another thing I think that is kind of not, it's not, um, it's not helping that I think Zverev boost his, his fan club, unlike, you know, I think Sissipas can, particularly with, particularly with his, what he does and particularly his sort of, I think, on-court demeanor and you know his particularly I think with his press conferences and his post-match presentation today had Marion Bartley I think he sees Marion Bartley as his uh his lucky charm well she better be there on Sunday then um actually Kim I was gonna say I think a lot of people were saying that post-match that post-match love-in after that match went on a little bit too long and (laughs) there was gonna be kind of like hell to pay for if the yeah if we were kind of like very close to the end and that curfew did hit him because yeah maybe that that post-match conference went just a little bit on a little bit it dragged on a little bit too longer than it than it should have yeah I prefer it when they're just short and snappy and they you know (laughs) get on with it but um there we go um let's take a quick break now uh but do join us in the second half we'll be looking back on all the results from the ladies semi-finals and also Joe Salisbury triumphing in the mixed doubles so don't go anywhere (laughs) 
This is The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to take a look back at all the other results from Roland Garros. And before we talk about the ladies' semi-finals, Joel, we have a British champion to talk Ooh. about. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Round of applause. Um, yeah, Joe Salisbury has won the mixed doubles with Desiree Krawczyk, uh, his American partner. Um, but most notably, this is the first British title at Roland Garros in 39 years which is an incredibly long amount of time it's coming home where well, where have I heard that before yeah um, oh gosh does this mean England are going to win the Euros is that what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah they they came through against uh Karatsev and Vishnina 2-6-6-4-10-5 in the match tie break uh so yeah Joe Salisbury has uh made history uh for 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 great britain the last uh person to win the title which was also the mixed doubles was uh john lloyd i think uh was that when he won with with joe jury i think um in 1982 i think it was with her wasn't it but anyway um yeah <laughs> so fantastic for joe salisbury um you know he's won men's doubles before but i think this was his first mixed title I mean, against a really, I think, really hard, tricky opponents in Karatsev and Vezhnina, I think they were quite disappointed. I think they were the better team for the majority of the match. But uh, Krawczyk and, and Salisbury really came into their own, particularly in that championship tiebreak at the end. Um, Karatsev was particularly glum, I think, on, on court afterwards. Uh, he definitely was not smiling or he found it hard to smile. Um, but it was interesting to hear Vezhnina was saying, Karatsev, I don't know what it is, Kim, with Kratzev, but if it's his first event or whatever, he just seems to go on a bit of a run because I think this was his first mixed doubles event. Um, I think in certainly in, in a Grand Slam. Um, and yeah, all the way through to the, the final, probably Vezhnina, they've probably not had any sort of practice time or a lot of practice time before. So, I mean, very impressive from them, but Joe Salisbury kind of winning it for the Brits. I mean, very, very, very impressive. Interestingly, though, not going to be teaming up at Wimbledon uh he's already kind of confirmed he will be with Harriet Dart so you know there's I mean I guess on the one hand that's great because that's an all British partnership at home that's what I love to see um but I guess at the same time you might be thinking oh have I have I have I confirmed too soon there um should I do a uh a, you know a Hughes hair bear and have a <laughs> have a chat with my my doubles partner and maybe do a switcheroo maybe yeah Harriet's got big <laughs> shoes to fill now uh, I know there's big pressure there yeah um I I should just say I've just looked up the 1982 French Open mixed doubles and it was uh John Lloyd and Wendy Turnbull so not, not Joe Jury but Joe Jury did win the Wimbledon mixed doubles with Jeremy Bates and also the AO so that's that's who I was thinking of but anyway yeah so it's Wendy Turnbull but um yes yeah, so anyway fantastic for Joe Salisbury and um you just mentioned uh Aber and Mahu actually and they are in the uh men's doubles final so they're, they're back together now so I think Mahu's probably forgiven time uh, heals all wounds yes exactly um but they are playing Bublik who we potentially thought was going to knock Medvedev out in the first round of the singles, which never happened. Yeah, he had other ideas. He was more focused <laughs> on the men's doubles, wasn't he? Yeah, he's playing with Golubev. So that's an all Kazakh, Kazakhstani pairing uh, against the all French pairing. Um, I watched a bit of the Aber and Mahu uh, doubles on the telly and they came through in a really close match against Cabal and Farah and, and the, the French crowd were going absolutely wild. So it was, it was really fun to watch. Um so I'm sure the crowd might get them over the edge, I feel, uh, in the final. 
Um, and then we should obviously mention the women's doubles because we do have um, Barbora Krachichkova in in the final uh, of of the of the women's doubles with Katerina Sinyakova. So she is into the women's doubles final as well as the women's singles final um which is insane so she's she's aiming to become the first person to win both titles since i think mary pierce did it in 2000 so a good 21 years ago now um but they're going to be playing Iga Sviontek and bethany matic sand so Iga Sviontek, you know she may not still be in the singles but she's come through in the doubles um and yeah that's going to be a really good final i think for the doubles alone so um i'd be happy with I mean, it would be nice for Krzyzewska to do the double uh, or to come away with at least one title, but it would also be really nice for Sviontek to get the doubles. And I mean, Bethany Matic-Sands as well. I think this is her first um, major final in a, in a while since she had that awful injury at Wimbledon. Oh, at Wimbledon. Ago. Yeah. Mm. God, I can, I can still remember those. Those screams are like permanently etched into oh, my head. They were yeah. so... It's not pleasant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, talking off Krzyzewska, because let's, let's talk about the... Let's talk about her run in the doubles and the singles. She beat uh, Maria Sakkari in a really, really good French Open semi-final. Uh, won seven five four six nine seven on her fifth match point. She also saved one along the way. Match lasted over three hours. It was a very, very good match for you know probably for a lot of fans there who probably might not have thought it was going to go go that way. Um, but yeah, really, really impressive stuff. And you know, before I guess we talk about that match, I mean, just talking about the that sort of singles and doubles conundrum because we spoke about that on our you know one of our round by round podcasts uh, you know a few days ago. And with regards to Shishviontek, and you know, I was kind of of the opinion that she shouldn't have gone into the doubles. I think as a you know, as a single specialist looking to defend her title, I just thought that perhaps was a step too far. But you know, Krachichkova. Uh, you know, I I would say I know she she'll probably hate me for saying this, but coming into this tournament, I think a lot of people would have still seen her as a double specialist. I know she's had a few singles kind of breakthroughs this season, but it's interesting to see that if she's coming from this, she came into this tournament as a double specialist, entered the singles probably you know as she was there on site and was able to you know get in through the rankings etc. But she has able been able to kind of get through to both of the finals. Um, and that has been really, really impressive given, you know, the perils I think that other players have faced, like Sviontek, and have sort of, you know, uh, you know, fallen you know, fallen at the hurd- a hurdle along the way. But for Kretschikova to to do that and to do it from seemingly out of nowhere has been very, very impressive. Yeah, well, I mean, she's playing well. She's playing well, regardless of whether it's singles, doubles, and you know, I mean, we, yeah, she, we, she is primarily known as a double specialist. But I, you know, she, she back in the day, she was world number three in in juniors. She reached the Dubai final this year. She's won Strasbourg, so she, she clearly wants to be a singles uh, specialist. You know, you know, she's become very. Um, you know, exceptional at the doubles over the last couple of years. She's been world number one in doubles. And I think if she wins the doubles uh, this weekend, she will actually go back to number one in doubles as well. Um, but her singles ranking has been, you know, steadily increasing. I think she's she's ranked like 33 at the moment. So she is just outside the um, the top 30. And I'm obviously I'm sure that will, <laughs> she'll go up. I don't know exactly to, to where she'll go up depending on the result this weekend. But um she she clearly i think has 
her career has been a bit sidetracked in the doubles over the last few years and she's probably coming back now to where she envisaged that she would be maybe a couple of seasons ago i think you know she's 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 very um you know she's said plain and simple uh kind of i think you know in terms of her career i think she was i think frustrated at being you know potentially kind of labeled as a double specialist that was not what she wanted to be when she kind of grew up and i think this particularly this french open this is a statement i think to all those people who pe- perhaps yeah label her as a double specialist like no no i'm not you know I, i've still got the i've got the the, the skill and the, the ability to really work it on the the single circuit as well and to get to the final to beat a very game maria sacchery in the, the semi-finals was very very impressive uh you know i caught the the last set of this it, there was so much drama because it was so I think unpredictable. There was so many twists and turns that even though it felt, I think Krachichkova was kind of, I think, second best, I think, you know, know, for quite a bit of the match, she was just able to kind of come through it. And I loved her kind of composure on court. And there was a big contrast, I felt, between Zachary, who was a very emotive player and feeding, very much, I think, feeding off the energy of the crowd and, you know, very vocal. But Krachichkova on your hand, very very silent and very kind of just going about her business and wasn't didn't didn't really draw i think on on any sort of emotion that that sachary that sachary was yeah she was so much kind of cooler calmer you know collected as the saying goes and like i think that really helped she was very composed like she went on her fifth match point and um obviously she had saved a match point earlier from sachary when she um you know failed to convert hers but to, to have so many match points, especially one which she thought she'd won. Uh, but then obviously the ball, you know, um, it was called out uh, originally or, or she thought it was out, but it actually, the umpire came down and, and overruled and said, no, it was in, uh, which incidentally on the TV, you know, they obviously have kind of Hawkeye for the TV and, and it looked quite, quite widely out uh, on, on the TV. But I know Hawkeye isn't 100% accurate, obviously, on the clay. But I, I, I personally thought it was out, but I, I don't know. I, but I felt bad for Krachichka. Krachichka, she celebrated. And then... It was awkward. I know. I know it was just, oh, you know, really awkward. I was wondering if... Because she celebrated straight away. It, it came across as like a bluff to the umpire. As in like, <laughs> right. You know, I'm celebrating because it's out. You're going to believe me sort of mm. mind oh, games maybe. But, possibly but the umpire <laughs> yeah the umpire had completely different you know different plans and you know i'm glad kind of kretschke came through that but that that match point specifically did raise an interesting question about hawkeye because it is being used on, on television uh in the uk i'm not sure if it's being used on on other people's kind of services around the world but it's certainly being shown in the uk and it's as you said kim it's not completely accurate on a clay court and you know people i think aren't aware of that i think when it's kind of shown at face value on the on the tv and i think it raises a question on should should we should we even be showing hawkeye on 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 the tv if it's not 100 percent accurate because it could paint the it could paint the wrong picture and i think it could potentially cause more controversy than maybe than maybe is needed because i genuinely felt in that in that moment on that point it didn't really help proceedings, I think, because it definitely would have been the talking point if Zachary had gone on to win the match. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it would have been. And I think there would have sparked a lot of debate. And that's why I, I was also quite relieved for Krachichikva that she did manage to get over the line because I thought, oh, she'd be absolutely ruining that. And 
she would have perhaps a valid case because you know I, I, I I'm not convinced it was in but probably did just catch the back of the line but I mean, phew, she she is a cool figure though, and I, I really liked her um, post match on court interview, and I especially liked her sort of little tribute to Jana Novotna, who I didn't realise this, but Jana Novotna coached her. Um, she was the last Krajicka was the last player that she worked with before she passed away, like four years ago now. So, you know, she was she was on board with Krajicka, um, you know, as Krajicka was kind of competing in like ITF events and, and coming onto the tour. So obviously a very influential figure. And I think, you know, she's obviously, it means a lot to her obviously. And, and uh, you know, the fact that she's kind of doing it for, for Jan and Nevada, I suppose. Um, and, and the, all the work that she did with her. So I thought that was a really nice, um, like touching moment. And I'm sure if she wins tomorrow, that it will be, um, again, you know, a very emotional one because of that, especially definitely it was really it's a really kind of touching story and i i recommend to listeners to kind of read a bit more about the sort of novotna legacy i think she has left with uh you know the next generation the up-and-coming czech players and kachichka is certainly part of that and she talks very glowingly about the impact that the yana novotna had on her career particularly at the, at the beginning you know i was kind of reading around the fact that you know kachichka knocked on Yana Novotna's door uh, in their kind of hometown and uh, was like, can you help me play tennis? And Novotna, to her surprise, Novotna was kind of like, yep, I'll help you. And that's sort of where that sort of, I guess that relationship kind of kicked on from. And, you know, it's, it's just very, it's just a very touching story, I think. And, you know, sadly, Yana Novotna kind of passed away back in 2017, but her, you know, her presence and I think her impact on the game we can see that in the in in players of today and i think that's a fitting a fitting tribute to her um just one other thing on in that match um and i don't and i think it's not a criticism of anyone um i think it's more of a criticism i think of the authorities or the or the rule makers but that that medical timeout kim at the end of the second set i think it was by krichichkova it took 7 minutes and <laughs> it's it's getting i think we're getting to a point now on the tour where I don't I don't know if it's a bathroom break, I don't know if it's an injury, but seven minutes off court with your player just kind of sitting on sitting on their chair or, or whatever they're doing, I just don't think it's I just don't think it's a good look. No, I think it's kind of taking the piss when it goes beyond a certain amount of time. I mean I mean I'm going beyond a toilet break. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I. To be fair, is this? She could have had some issues going on. We don't know. That's the thing. I mean, I mean, I'm sure we've all been to the toilet, and it might have taken longer than five or six minutes sometimes. But yeah, it's apparently she did one in the Dubai final as well between like the first or second set and that was like 11 minutes so I don't know if this is like a tactic that she uses or I'm sure you know I'm sure she's not intentionally trying to mess her opponent up it's maybe just for her own kind of um it just feels that if we've got a shot clock now I feel like it's inevitable that Mm. we should be having a a shot clock countdown timer for these medical timeouts like maybe it's a you know from five minutes counting down and if you're not you know, if you're not there by zero, then you're, uh, you know, the the opponent can hit a serve and, and win a point or, or something. Or, you know, or every 30 seconds you're late, uh, you, you lose a point or, or, or something. I just think that, you know, if we're kind of getting into this more kind of regimented way of, of the presentation of, of tennis and it's not so, so sort of laissez-faire. And I think 
perhaps medical timeouts are perhaps the next thing that need to be addressed with regards to that regimentation. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you just don't like what if a player then you know would like to have one and it's really genuine and they mm. do need more time. Yeah. It's it's tricky, isn't it, to police? But I still think more players don't abuse it than than the players that would. So I, I don't know, but um. I, uh, it's just another thing to throw into the equation, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but we saw, um, I mean, Krejcikova will be playing Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova in the final tomorrow uh, because Pavs came through against Tamara Zidanezek, 7-5-6-3, so a bit more of a straightforward encounter um, in the first semi-final. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say Pavlyuchenko wasn't entirely convincing in this match, but she definitely had a lot more consistency um and sort of a bit she was a bit more together than Zidanezek who I thought just you know did well to hang in there but it really wasn't playing as well as as, as she has been and I thought it was a, a bit more erratic uh in the semi-final which is to be expected you know she's into this stage of a tournament for the for the first time oh as was Pavlyuchenkova but you know still more experienced um I think with Pavlyuchenkova although I think she was probably like Zidanezek kind of excited to be in the semi-finals I think you know, particularly when that match was over and she was at the net, I've, you know, look, looking at it on TV as a fan, it felt that it was more relief than anything. I felt like, you know, she felt that this was, you know, this was her moment. You know, it's been for forever long. And I think she's sort of self-aware of this situation that she is in. And, you know, in this moment, she's she's got this opportunity, I think, to really, in, in a really big way, and I think it's sort of weird to say, but in a really big way, she's got an opportunity here to sort of redefine her career in one tournament. Because I think if this had never happened, we would probably be reflect and and you know, and she retired, and we probably would have been reflecting on Pavlyuchenkova's career as one that you know promised so much with you know getting to you know umpteenth quarterfinals, but 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 having still something left in the tank because it, it felt relatively. You know, still unfilled for someone who's got you know lots and lots of talent. But if she can go on and genuinely win this French Open, then you could arguably say you know her career. She's prob- she would she would have probably done the best she could um, with you know with her career and talent. Yeah, I, I wonder will she suddenly like decide to retire a bit like Flavia Panetta or Bartoli because it's like they finally you know reach what they have like their their one goal but I mean she's still I think a bit younger than both of those players were when they they did that so I'm I'm sure she wouldn't but it does sort of have Caroline Wozniacki vibes um you know she won like a, a late slam. Bloomer, yeah. yeah right at the end and then you know retired not long after and I mean Wozniacki is like the same age I think as as Pavlyuchenko so you know um she, she you just don't know do you but yeah it just does go to show that different players will come through at different times and it's you know, not necessarily if they haven't done it by 25, 26, it's not <laughs> too late. I mean, in, interestingly though, Katrichkova, she, this is only her fifth main draw appearance in the singles at a slam. And so she's got to, you know, obviously a, a final. Um, and I think in the last 20 years or so, it's only Andreescu that's actually managed to do that in, in that number or less main draw appearances. So that is very impressive from, from Katrichkova because I think Pavlichenkova, this, this is her 50th slam. I think it's an open era record for the most appearances at a slam before making, you know, a final. So kind of got a tale of two halves there. Um, I'm sure Pavlichenkova would have loved to have reached a final in like her fifth slam, but you know, <laughs> 50 is better late than never. I mean, just looking, looking forward to that match, where, where is your head at in terms of 
because you've ov- you've got a clear sort of experience there in in, in Pavlichenkova. Maybe not necessarily at you know being in a Grand Slam final before, but certainly with years and a number of matches under her belt versus Zidanejek. Sorry, versus Krachichkova, who. Yeah, only fifth main draw appearance. I don't think she's even been in the main draw at Wimbledon no. and the US Open. That's that's surely got to. I mean, for me, that's surely got to count for something. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say I hope Krzysztof isn't physically um, tired, you know, because of all the tennis that she's been playing. She did have quite a quick double semi final today. She won quite easily, so hopefully that will have you know helped rather than it being a long one. Um, so there's that to consider, but I, I mean, Pavlichenkova also had some strapping on her legs, so perhaps they're both not going to be 100% there physically. But I think Pavlichenkova obviously has more experience, but does that, will that come into it? Because they're both in a final for the first time. So I think, you know, they're both going to be feeling the nerves. And I don't know if, I feel like my head says Pavs, but I feel like my heart says Krzyzewska. I think Krzyzewska has been playing the better tennis, if I'm being honest, but Pavlichenkova is doing a sort of Sasha Zverev and just coming through and, and, and winning matches. And, you know, maybe she'll just kind of continue that momentum. I do think, I wonder if the, you know, the weight of expectation might play more on, on Pavlichenkova because, because of that time it's taken her to get to this point. It didn't obviously affect her, I think, in the, the semi-final, but, a, you know, a final will be a completely different ball game with a, a title on the line. So, you know, it will be a, a fascinating matchup. Um, before we, Kim, before we finish, we're gonna we're gonna end on some predictions. So we've got the men's final and the women's final. We we, ov- we are obviously well known for our spot on predictions, but we've got Novak Djokovic, Stefanos Tsitsipas, and then we've got Anastasia Pavlichenkova versus Barbora Krzyzewska. What are your give me your ladies and men's champions? How many and how many how many sets are you, are you thinking? Oh. um well do you think here's one for you do you think the women's singles final will last longer than the men's singles oh that's a good one that's a good one because i think krasichkova pavlochenkova it could very well be Mm. a a bit of an epic potentially could we see could we see it going the distance i mean i krasichkova obviously had a very long single semi nine seven in the in the third i i don't know if she well would that help well I, I don't really know it's so hard to predict um which is I'm actually I'm looking forward obviously more to that one than, than the men's probably because it's such an, a novel come on um, Kim novel I'm gonna final. have to push you I'm gonna Sorry. have to push you what, ah, okay. are you what are you going for uh in three and uh Novak in in three comfortable sets oh oh okay yeah oh. interesting what about you mm, I have got to go I I do agree with you on Novak. Uh, I think Sissipas will play good tennis, but I think Djokovic will play better tennis. And I think he's just going to be able to just do that each each set. So I'm going to say Djokovic in three as well. Um, and then for the women, I'm going to say Pavlyuchenkova. I'm going to say Pavlyuchenkova in three. I think it could be. I think that one could be quite t- quite topsy turvy. I'm expecting to see more nerves. I think in that ladies final versus the men's final. I think that, I think that men's final could be a very high quality match. But I still see it being a maybe a quite a t- quite a tight three set victory with maybe the odd tie break here or there um, for Djokovic. So that's those are my those are my predictions. 
it's also on at the same time as England's first match in the, in the Euros. <laughs> Great timing. Uh, but yes, um, I mean, regardless, I, I hope Krzysztof manages to get one of the titles. I'd be sad mm. for her to be in both mm. finals and not to come yeah. away with anything. Um, interestingly, jeopardy. yeah, interestingly, the girls' singles final is also a Czech versus a Russian. So it's sort of mirroring the ladies' singles. Um, but also the men, uh, sorry, the boys, they've got an all French final. So, you know, we were saying the other day about French tennis uh, in the men's side being you know, where, where are their youngsters coming through? Perhaps they do have some because they actually got, uh, they did a complete, complete semi-final lineup. It was all French boys, um, which is the first time I think that's ever happened in the, in the boys event. So, um, perhaps, you know, looking up for the French, but, um, yeah, well, we will be back, uh, on Sunday, uh, Sunday evening to review the finals, um, from, from, from Roland Garros 2021. And uh, it's been a very dramatic evening. I have to say I'm quite exhausted now from all of the, <laughs> you know, emotions and what you have you. You got through it, Kim. You got yeah. through the episode. So, I think yeah. doing it's been quite cathartic as well. Like, just <laughs> I feel I feel better than I did when we started. So there, that's something. Um, but yeah, that that's it for, for, another, for another evening at Roland Garros. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of The Passing Shot. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all things at the French Open on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast, make sure to hit that subscribe button and you can listen to us also on the DownloadTennis.com app. If you have been enjoying listening to our coverage at the French Open and you want to help out the show, make sure to leave us a rating and comment as well on Apple Podcasts. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a follow and a like uh, if you don't already. And you can contact us via all those social channels if you'd like to get in touch with the show. Um, you can also email us as well, PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And we will be back on Sunday evening, UK time for our finals round by round catch up. I hope you can join us for that. It should be a cracker. And we will see you again soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.